1: Good morning, It's time to wake up. It's five, and we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show, your early morning shot of sports on 95.7 The Game.
0: Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Stephen Light fit in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game, leading you up until 6 o'clock as the morning roast will take you until 10. And I got to say, I'm just, I'm excited to be in here today. In the words of Guru, I'm excited. And I don't even know if excited is the right word, but I, mean, I am excited to talk to you here from 5 to 6. However for the past 3 days and I'm if you're a superstitious person you're going to be sitting in your car ste- wondering, "Steven, why are you even mentioning this?" You don't need to put this out into the world. Keep it quiet. This is like a this is like when a pitcher is throwing a no-hitter, but I'm not one to brag. I've gotten all greens for the past 3 days getting into the city. I'm just saying, when you are like me and you got to go through downtown San Francisco where there are plenty of lights, plenty of crosswalk signs going on and off, even though there are no people on the crosswalk at all, it's very frustrating. I mean, you could run the red light, sure, but you never know where a cop could be, so I'm not going to try and do that. I'm not going to get a ticket early this morning. But I've gotten all green lights getting into work. It's taken me five minutes to get through the city. Stay tuned tomorrow. See if the streak continues. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. And good morning, everybody. I uh, want to start off talking about the Giants today and the big 7-6 to win over uh, the Cincinnati Reds. And also, this play-in tournament... For basketball and Luka Doncic, along with Mark Cuban, both essentially saying, ah, yeah, we don't want to we don't want the play in tournament anymore. Well, I'm sure you've heard a bunch of takes on that in the past couple of days or excuse me, starting yesterday. I'm sure you've heard a bunch of takes, but all that news came out after I was done with my show. And I have a little issue uh, with those statements that they're making. So we'll get to that. Plus, we got Mel Kuiper's latest mock draft as the 49ers' mock draft quarterback carousel continues to circle around. But let's start off with the Giants. And you know what? I'm just going to play a quick montage of every highlight from this game last night.
1: 3-1 pitch coming up. Botto drives it to left and well. Dickerson back. This will be pitch number 17 in the inning. And it's high and deep to right. And Moustakis has hit one out. It's 4-0. High drive. Right field. It is out of here. And it's 4-2. Hit high to left center field. Zenzel at the wall.
0: And this game is tied! Oh, wait a second. That's not from the entire game. That's just from the first inning when there were two two two-run homers for each team. Two two two-run home runs for each team. And this was from Susan Slusser as soon as this happened. Her producer, uh, Dave Feldman, mentioned this. But this is the first time in the history of Oracle... AT and T, SBC, Pack Belt Park, whatever you want to call it, that both teams hit two home runs in the first inning. Fascinating. And one other aspect of that first inning, and we'll get to what happened in the game because I do think that this was the Giants' most complete win of the season. And you know, I don't even think that. That's just a fact. I think that's objective uh, for this year, but. One thing that was funny, if you didn't notice in the background, (laughs) if you didn't notice in the background and you're watching the game, there were a couple of guys who were wearing shirts that had NR, one of them had NR on the left, and the other one had FI. And I remember sitting back and I was just watching, I was like, what is that? I mean, what is happening? And then I go onto Twitter during one of the commercial commercial breaks, and then I see... That Bleacher Report tweeted out Joey Votto's home run and Joey Votto's home run to the opposite field. I mean, look, the dude. Even though he's in his thirties, the dude mashes. That's just it. He has one of the best eyes that uh, baseball has seen in the past uh, in in the past decade or so. He's always been very consistent. But NRF five was what you saw in the fans' shirts yesterday in that first inning. And I go to Bleacher Report, I see they post the Joey Votto home run, and then the title was, Joey Votto doesn't care about your bets. I was like, that is interesting, and they tagged their little Bleacher Report betting page into it. Not a little Bleacher Report betting page, I mean, it's got 200,000 followers, so it's pretty big. But I looked on that page, and two guys that were at the Giants game wearing the NRFI shirts we're from the betting sector of Bleacher Report, and one of those guys is actually a former intern that used to work along on the morning show. <laughs> and apparently, before the game, I'm seeing a video of him, and I wish I could play the audio for you. Uh, but the fo- the audio is a little uh, a little shallow for radio, but um, you can't really hear it too well. But my man Greg over at Bleacher Report betting, <laughs> I guess, was talking to the Reds. Before the game, when they were warming up during batting practice, an N-R-F-I stands for no runs in the first inning. And they're not exactly heckling the Reds when they're warming up at batting practice, but they're just asking if they're going to put any runs on the board. And then right away at the top of the inning, Kevin Gosman gives up Two two run home runs and it's four nothing and there's already four runs in the first. Then the Giants answer back with their own four runs. So there's an eight run first inning. So there's the story, if you haven't heard it yet, about what went on in the first inning between those two guys with the NR and FI shirts. Uh but let's get into the game. And we'll start with Gosman. You know, even though he gave up uh those four runs in the first inning and then the one run in the second when You hope to get a stop there. Uh, Kevin Gosman ended up on the night striking out seven. He went the full six. Um, He gave up four hits on the night. And he retired the last 13 batters he faced. And I think that in baseball, you know, with aces, this happens sometimes. This does happen where a first inning can just blow up. I go back to last season when Shane Bieber, the Cy Young winner, Cy Young Award winner for the Cleveland Indians, when he was pitching against the Yankees. I go to the bathroom to start the game. I'm thinking, all right, I can you know take a little bathroom break before the game starts. Timed it wrong. The game started. And before you know it, Shane Bieber had already given up two runs, and there wasn't even an out yet. I was like, what is going on? Well, that's what happened yesterday. Sometimes teams just start off hot and it's good on the Giants just to answer back. Uh, but Gosman actually, I thought, looked pretty good uh, in his start yesterday besides those uh, the first couple of innings because in the end, what you need when your offense is actually giving you some run support and some firepower, then what you need is to stay in the game and keep your head in the fact that, look, we still got a long way to go. <laughs> We still got another eight innings. He still felt like he had another five solid innings left in him. He had a little pep talk from Evan Longoria, and he remained in the game and retired the last 13 batters that he faced. So shout-out to Kevin Gosman. And speaking of which, the guy who was giving him the pep talk, saying they're going to come back into this game, because that's what Gosman mentioned. He mentioned that when he went into the dugout after giving up those four runs, Longoria went up to him and told him, we'll get him back. And when a guy like Longoria is saying that type of stuff with this Giants team, I don't know if I'd heard that sort of confidence from not only Longoria, but from a majority of these players when they weren't exactly an offensive uh, home run sort of powerhouse, which is what they are right now. Even though they're not getting on base too much uh, with base hits, they are hitting a lot of home runs, and Longoria did it on his own to tie it 5-5.
1: Evan Longoria hit a single to center his first time, and lined out to right center in the third inning. He's one for two. That ball is hit well. Deep left center field. howdy Pelota! It's tied up! The fifth home run of the night, the third by the Giants.
0: And Longoria cracked that thing to left, too. But Longoria with just another solid night. Another solid night as he was two for four from the plate, and he hit that home run um, to tie the game up. And, look, he's just looked really comfortable. He's looked really comfortable. And the swings that he's taking... They're compact, he's balanced, he's not really chasing too many pitches. It feels like, not only Longoria, that's actually, this extends to the team too, but the way that they're extending at-bats and letting the pitchers at least, not swinging at the first pitch every single time. You know, taking close ones, not not letting the third strike, the two-strike counts where the third strike is out of the zone, not chasing that, being patient. And I feel like Longoria uh, has done a really good job of that this season. Um, But one of the major things that happened in this game was what happened with the lineup and pinch hitting. And I do think it's something interesting, and we'll get to what Cabe Kapler had to say about it on the other side. But there are two big differences in this ball game that won them this game last night. And it wasn't the home runs. It wasn't just Kevin Gosman retiring the last 13 straight while also striking out seven, even though he gave up five earned runs in the first one and two-thirds innings, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't just that, but it was the way that Gabe Kapler handled the lineup and a key switch that he made. But it's also something that's going on with the bullpen as well as another aspect of their game. We'll get to all that next. 888 9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. Plus, we're getting to a little A's talk as well. Steven Langford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game.
1: Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. 888-957-9570
0: is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. Stephen Langford in with you up until 6 o'clock, so about 43 minutes left to go in the show. And I am... I don't think I'm ever, as my voice cracks, I don't think I'm ever going to come down from this high that I'm on of just getting all green lights when I got into the city. I mean, unbelievable. For the past three days, on the Monday, on the Tuesday, on the Wednesday, boom, all greens. It's like I'm Bruce Almighty. I'm just, you know, pointing at whatever I want, and it happens. Then, you know, we're going to be back tomorrow where I'm going to hit, like, three different reds the crosswalk sign's going to go on for nobody that's walking across the crosswalk but there will be other cars uh possibly moving along there but there will be only be like two cars and the crosswalk will be going on for like 25 seconds because that's how it just normally is that's how it operates and i gotta wait there an extra 25 seconds but all greens this morning baby Woo! stoked on that but I do want to get to what happened uh, with this Giants game last night in their uh seven to six win over uh, the seven to six win over the Cincinnati Reds and it was a huge one it was a complete win for the Giants and not necessarily big like the Warriors win over the Nuggets big, which has to do with the play-in tournament. And I do want to get to what Luka Doncic and Mark Cuban had to say regarding the play-in tournament and the fact that they just don't like it anymore. We'll get to that uh, a little later on in the program. But this was a big win for the Giants in that when they're 4 nothing down in the first inning, you're thinking, okay, maybe they could inch their way back During the game, you know, it's possible we're past that point now of thinking that this Giants team can't score four runs in a baseball game. We're really past that point, even though they only had two hits against the Reds in the previous matchup. I still think that we do have the confidence that the Giants uh, can at least put up four runs on the board in a game. All right, we got that. But also it's on the pitching to keep the Giants in the game and not let it get blown out of proportion so that you don't just have a bunch of empty Longoria home runs. Empty, uh, you know, possibly an empty Brandon Crawford home run, whatever it may be, even though the Brandon Crawford home run happened in the first inning uh, right after Yastrzemski. And quite frankly, you know, before we actually get into the good of this game, I do want to say that it should have been more than 7-6, to You know, Yaz, when the bases are loaded, it's the bottom of the eighth. You're going to the ninth with a one-run lead. You need to knock those guys in when it is bases loaded. And they managed to uh, get guys on base with a little small ball and, you know, a couple of walks, a fielder's choice, and then uh, a walk or two more. And you got bases loaded. You got Mike Yastrzemski. He gets it to a 3-2 full count. I I personally, I did that thing. I did the cliché. I did the cliche where I said, and I did this with Jordan Poole, as soon as Jordan Poole got out of the Warriors, I did this too. But I'm like, Jastrzemski has the look in his eye right now that he's going to get a hit. And I'm telling Jesse, my girlfriend, I'm like, hey, check this out. I'm like, watch. Do you see the look that he has right now? Do you see the way that he's staring this pitcher down? He's absolutely going to get a hit, and he ends up can. Uh, but they do they do need to get hits in that sort, in, in that sort of situation. And it wasn't necessarily just the long ball. It was pretty entertaining to watch uh, Buster Posey after he was on first and Austin Slater uh, became the pinch hitter uh, for Lamont Wade. But when Buster Posey was on first and Austin Slater hits that P into Triple's Alley, (laughs) Buster Posey, you gotta unhook the trailer, big boy! And he got home, and he made it, and they end up uh, taking the lead on that one. That was a really exciting play in that game after Longoria tied it up uh, against Sean Doolittle uh, with the whole run. But that Austin Slater hit, it was just very entertaining. But that's what I want to talk about uh, a little bit because we always pay attention to the bullpen changes that Gabe Kapler makes and you know how he handles it, what guys he's bringing in. Did he take? Cueto out too soon did he take gosman out too soon should he have kept dislafani in whatever the case may be we always do that and we never look at the lineup changes and what he does as far as pinch hitting and what he did yesterday was he just put all right handers in for the lefties in this game because he realized that the lefties uh, weren't having much success and here's what Gabe Kapler had to say after the game regarding those line changes.
1: Obviously, the, the first inning, the first couple innings actually were, were rough for both guys. But I thought we did a really nice job of, of uh, spoiling tough pitches. I thought we did a really nice job of extending at-bats. And I thought we got, we got some really timely and, and important hits. So I, I thought our offense looked really good today from both sides. So we kind of made a little line change there mid-game, as you guys saw. And uh, our right-handed bats came through in a pretty big way as well. Solano's at-bats were excellent. Um, obviously, Slater's big triple to right center field. Uh Really impressive to come off the bench cold and, and put a swing like that on the ball. So you always factor in that when you bring guys off the bench, it's it might take them a little time to, to get acclimated to the game. I kind of factor that in when you pinch hit. But we trust our guys to come off the bench and be ready. They do a lot of work down below in the cage for those moments. And I uh, thought that paid off tonight.
0: And I don't know if it's necessarily the Donovan Solano pinch hit uh, as to why lefties weren't doing well, I mean Tommy Lastello was leading off the game and he was three for three. You can't knock uh, anything that he was doing, but it might have come from uh, that error where Crawford and Lastello were going out for it, essentially in short center field. It could have been either ball, I guess, for one of them. I, I, I you know, I was kind of going back and forth on it, and the more the watch, the more I watch a replay, I'm sure if. Brandon Crawford didn't have Listella charging in at his periphery. <laughs> like like Brandon Crawford's looking to his right and is just like Okay, I got Lestella I got Listella just charging at me like Samarja and Michael Morse when Hunter Strickland and Bryce Harper got into a fight when they when he charged the mound. But I got Listella charging at me. I might need to slow down a little bit. Tipped his glove error Lestella crashed into him not a pretty sight it was was not a pretty moment in the game but i do want to say that bringing in solano for Listella, solano ended up getting a couple of walks now dubon he didn't get on base because he was brought in for alex dickerson who was 0 for 3 but wilmore flores managed to contribute and austin slater the guy we just mentioned I mean, not only did he hit one in a triple's alley, but he also just hit a nice little bloop single, uh, a little inside out there in the, in the eighth inning um, to where it gave Yastrzemski the chance to hit with the bases loaded and get to that 3-2 count. And it seems like every move that Kapler is making as far as the lineup goes has been relatively successful. You know, and maybe not so much uh Kurt Casale striking out uh in crunch time, maybe not so much Darren Ruff, but those guys both came in for pitchers and you had to make a switch for pitchers at some point. But I do think that he has been largely successful uh this season as far as things go, because at some points, you know, like for example, that first game of the season, the opening game, I, I-, I don't think that those moves are all necessarily his fault. There's only so much you can do when you have a five-run lead and you're bringing in one of your guys from the bullpen and they still manage to give it up. I don't necessarily blame that on him. It is sometimes up to the relievers to perform. And I think that he got a lot of the blame last season when blame shouldn't have been given. But that's just what we're going to do when a new manager comes to the when a new manager comes to the bay to replace Bruce Bochy, a guy who is just so good at handling bullpens and what to do. But I feel like Kapler's been largely good this season. And yesterday, I mean, look, Wandy Peralta, not a great outing after he came in for Gosman. Of course, gave up the run, but ended up getting out of it. Then you get Tyler Rogers. And Tyler Rogers is a fascinating one to me. Tyler Rogers was brought in in the, uh, in the eighth inning. And last year, he had a 4.5 ERA. Now, no, he didn't necessarily uh, walk that many guys. His strikeout to walk ratio last season uh, was not that bad. He struck out 27 and only walked six in his 28 innings of work. But he also gave up 31 hits and 14, uh, 14 earned runs, along with two home runs. And this season, look, it started out ugly in Seattle, right? I mean, he gave up a blown save, and it wasn't great uh, against San Diego either. You know, coming in, there wasn't much hope when he, uh, you know, even though he already had two holds previous to that, he ended up blowing the save there against the uh, against the Padres on that uh, final game of the two-game series. But the first game that he's had against the uh, uh, against the Reds here, look, he had three Ks in this one. And not only did he have three Ks, he has Ks against guys like Castellanos, Moustakis, Winker, some of their best hitters on this team. And I don't know if this is going to be a thing, but... You know, these previous games that he's had against Seattle, against the Padres, against the Rockies. You know, they've been a little shaky at times, right? They have been a little shaky. But this game against the Reds that he came in on, I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that last year you only played within the West. Because even though these teams had clearly seen Tyler Rogers, they knew uh, what he was going to be bringing to the table. That was the issue with the 60-game season for me, was that you don't play any of these teams in the Central or the East. It might put you at either an advantage or a disadvantage, depending on how good uh, your division is. And really, for example, the Yays going into the playoffs, they'd only played six games against teams that had a over 500 uh, record. And those six games were a series against the Padres and a series against uh, the Dodgers, and that's it. And that, I feel like, kind of put them at a disadvantage going into the playoffs because these other teams have played so many more games against over 500 teams. So I feel like there was some of that disadvantage there last year. But we also had the fact that you're seeing a lot of the same players. And it's hard to really fool a lot of teams when you're bringing in this submarine pitcher who tends to leave stuff hanging. He didn't last night. I mean, last night he was he was keeping guys off balance, throwing pitches out of the zone. He looked really good uh, last night. But I wonder if there's any effect when you are playing a team from the NL Central who hadn't seen you all season. You know, at some point, the Mariners had seen him. At some point, the Padres had seen him. At some point, the Rockies had seen him. But at no point had the Reds seen him, and that was his first 3K three k inning of the year. I do find that pretty interesting. I want to monitor that going forward as far as Tyler Rogers facing any of these other uh, teams from the other divisions, whether it's the Central or the East from the National League or the American League, either one. I do think that's going to be something interesting to monitor. And one more underrated aspect of this Giants team. And even though I mentioned it earlier, the Crawford and LaStella collision in center, they still didn't count it as a as a as an error. They didn't have any errors in this game. And not only you know were the bats. You know, you want you do want more than seven runs on eleven hits. Let's be honest. And in the eighth, I feel like they could have put up a few more runs uh, with that bases loaded moment with two outs with Yastrzemski. But the fact that their defense hasn't made many mistakes, and I know what you may be thinking—you know, defense isn't that tough. Teams shouldn't have that many opportunities uh, to make errors in the first place. But look it's no it's no surprise that the Giants are actually winning this year and their defense has been far superior to last year in those first 10 games. And I do think that the defense, the fact that there are no errors made and it might be a little underrated, now in the second inning when, you know, Castellanos hit the double to score Winker, you're wondering why Alex Dickerson is playing so far uh, toward left center field and you know, Winker was able to score around from first, and that's what made the game five four in the first place. But I do think that their defense this year has been good enough to not lose them games, which is what it did last season. And I do think that the defense has actually picked up this year. So I do think that's something something to monitor uh, as well. But triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today but coming up next there's been all this talk about the play in tournament and I want to share my thoughts on what Luka Doncic and Mark Cuban had to say on that plus Mel Kuyper in his mock draft 4.0 was released yesterday who does he have the Niners taking at three I think you might be able to take a guess, but we do have some, an important day coming up for the 49ers. So we'll get to all that next. Stephen Langford did it on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game.
1: Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford.
0: Let it ride. All right. Now we can get the show started. Triple A 957 9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. Been talking Giants for the first half hour. Gonna transition here uh, to what Mel Kuiper's latest mock draft had to say. His mock draft 4.0. I mean, I mean, when there's four different mock drafts, at some point it's just like, okay, make up your mind. And it is really something that is used to create clicks, create drama, create interest heading into the draft. You can't tell me that there's any 49er fan out there, hell, any Jets fan out there, even any Jags fan out there, who won't be tuning into the draft this year. There are some, I can guarantee you, there are some who are just like, look, we know who they're going to pick. Jags fans are like, they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. I don't even want to watch the draft, blah, blah, blah. Some people don't like the draft. That's totally fine. But even those who don't like watching the draft are going to want to pay attention to this one. And that's probably why these mock drafts continue to come out just to stir up interest. Uh, But something else in another sport that tries to stir up interest, and we'll get to that mock draft and that pick in just a second. But I didn't get my chance last uh, 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 the last show to share my thoughts regarding these comments uh, from Luka Doncic as well as Mark Cuban. But take a listen to what Luka Doncic had to say regarding the play-in games for the NBA.
1: Obviously, we're trying to get a sixth Uh I don't understand the idea of playoff, playing. You play 72 games uh, to get in the playoffs, and then maybe you lose two in a row and you're out of the playoffs. Uh, so I don't see the point of that.
0: Okay, so he says there's he doesn't see the point in playing an entire season, playing the 72-game schedule, which, by the way, is very condensed. And, you know, and I hate to say it, but Jamal Murray and that injury that he had toward the end of the fourth quarter with less than a minute left ended up tearing his ACL against the Warriors. But, you know, you could look at just how many games are played in such a short amount of time this season And you could look at that and think that some of these guys might be a little overworked. And you could say even the same for 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 James Wiseman, too. I mean, you know, James Wiseman, we didn't even think that, you know, we're talking about his development when we were talking about the three games in college and the lack of a training camp starting off the season testing positive for covid. We were talking about how it uh, worked his development. But how about just, you know, training for an entire NBA season? You know, and getting prepared for that. And I don't know if some of these players' bodies were exactly uh, ready to carry that workload. And, you know, Jamal Murray's knee unfortunately gave out on him. But Luka's whole point is that the 72 game season, the fact that they're playing it so, they're playing so many games in such a little amount of time. And they get to a point where traditionally they should just make the playoffs by uh, being the seventh seed. But instead, they have to play in this tournament. now just to give you a little refresher of, of what the play-in tournament is in case you don't know you know because all the, the the word can be thrown around so much but really the official tournament quote unquote is the seventh through tenth seed in each conference. the seventh through tenth seed play in a little tournament and what they do is the seventh and eighth seed they play each other. The winner of that gets the seventh seed. So, whoever it's going to be, you know, you could look at uh, the, the the Spurs and the Mavs. So the seventh and eighth seed, eighth seed teams they play each other. Whoever wins that, they play the seventh. Whoever loses plays the winner of the ninth and tenth seed when they play a game. So essentially, whoever's in the ninth or tenth seed, they have to win two games in order. To make that eighth spot, but if you win one game as a part of the seventh or eighth seed, then you get that eighth spot. So, really, if you're ranked seventh or eighth, all you got to do is win one game, and if you're ranked ninth or tenth, you got to win two. That's pretty much how it is there when you're trying to get uh, trying to get into these playoffs. And my whole thing with what Luca said and what Mark Cuban said. He said in a regular season of 82 games where we aren't playing 30-plus games in six weeks, then it might have been okay, but the compression of so many games into, few, into so few days makes this an enormous mistake. But I don't know where this is coming from. I'd like to think that Steph's 53-point night against the Nuggets – Seeing that he's getting hot at the right time, I'd like to think that that has something to do with it. As soon as that happened, Warrior fans are all over the internet saying Steph forced Luca and Mark Cuban to have this uh, have this opinion. But I do think that they've had this one uh, for a long time before that. Uh, but this playing game that they got going on, I'm tired of that complaining though. You know, that's my whole point. If you don't want to play in the play-in tournament, then get the sixth seed. Take over the Blazers. Take advantage. And maybe it's just because the team had lost two straight after they'd had a red-hot March leading into April. The Mavs have been a surging team. I mean, they were within uh, the bottom of the Western Conference at one point, and then they started climbing their way up the standings. But if you're just not going to be okay with the playing tournament, you need to be confident that you're going to win one game. How would Mavs fans feel, especially the fact that they're the seventh seed right now? They are the seventh seed. So all they got to do, hypothetically, all they'd have to do is win one game over the Grizzlies and they make the playoffs, no harm done. If you can't win that one game against a team that's ranked eighth, then I don't know if you necessarily deserve to be in the playoffs. I don't know if you deserve to have that honor of playing, again, hypothetically, who would be the Suns right now, who are ranked second. Because if you do win, then you remain in that seventh seed, then you'd be playing whoever's in the two seed. And it's not only that, but I can understand why players and you know owners, whoever might not be okay with this decision just because they're thinking, look, we we got the seventh spot. Why can't we just make the playoffs? We have to play this game. Like, I can understand that from their uh, from their vantage point. But for me, I don't get why any viewer would have an issue with it. Because we talked about how Mel Kuyper's mock drafts are all for clicks and all, all, all of that sort of stuff just to put up numbers for viewership of the draft. Well, the play game does the same thing, but the reason that it's supposed to bring in more viewers and more money is because it makes it way more entertaining. I don't know. I don't know how I'd be feeling personally about these final, what, 18 games left in the season when the Warriors are currently two games back of that eighth seed and the Grizzlies continue to play some a pretty good brand of basketball. I don't know how I'd be feeling toward these final 18 because if there's still two games behind, let's just say, you know, you, you play 10 more games and there's still two games behind that eighth spot and you have eight games left in the season. I don't know how much fun those eight games would be to watch, but instead you are going to be paying attention to the Pelicans who are a game back of the Warriors. You're going to be t- paying attention to the Spurs who are a game ahead of the Warriors, you're going to be paying attention to the Grizzlies, the Mavs, and also, you got to pay attention to the Blazers, too, because the Blazers could easily be getting that 7th spot, and they don't want to get into the play-in tournament. I don't understand why people are against this sort of thing. Straying away from tradition. I think that these, you know, for example, the wild-card games. Sure, I do not like the single-game elimination too much, um, but I do think that it brings a lot of intrigue to the season and also a lot of intrigue to the playoffs. And then when they made it a three-game series instead of just a single-game elimination, I mean, that just made it even better. right? And that gave teams more opportunities opportunities to win. And sure, it might have been a ploy from the NBA to put the fringe teams like the Pelicans in the spotlight, maybe they knew the Warriors would be in this position, maybe it's a way to keep the Warriors in the spotlight too, but I just think it adds so much intrigue to the season and these final 18 games, I don't know if they'd be as entertaining, more fun to keep an eye on with the standings if this play-in tournament wasn't in play. And, and, and I mean, you know, it's a little different going down the list uh, of the Eastern Conference because it's the Heat who are in the sixth seed. Actually, the Eastern Conference right now, it depends on what's going to happen four through seven. I mean, you pretty much have uh, nine and ten uh, locked down right now because the Pacers uh, just don't look that great. The Bulls, they haven't been able to come together as a team, even with adding Vucevic in a trade. You never know what can happen there, but there's just so much more intrigue to me with the remaining games of this season when traditionally these final 18, 19 games, whatever it may be, they're not as entertaining, quite frankly. And and, and that's just what, and to me, anything that sports can do in order to make the games more fun, more palatable, toward the end of the season for an entire 72 games, then I am all for it. All right. All right, let's 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 transition here to a little football because Mel Kuyper came out with his latest mock draft, and I want to know where you're at now, 888-957-9570. We're going to be doing this at least once a week because you can change your mind. You can think what you want to think, but on Thursday... Two Thursdays from now, well, I guess three Thursdays from now because tomorrow is Thursday, but three Thursdays from now on the 29th of this month, the draft will take place. And I want to know from you, 888 957 at the text line or the phone number. On this date, on April 14th, who do you think the 49ers are going to be taking uh, with that number three overall pick? Because Mel Kuyper came out with his latest mock draft, And let me get the drum roll ready here. And at number three, he has the 49ers taking... Alabama quarterback Mac Jones yet again. And let me just get your reaction from the car right now. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Oh, wow, you're loud. You're being very loud. Wow, what's the matter with Mac Jones? Come on. Listeners, be better. No, I'm just playing. You can feel the way you want to feel. But he has Mac Jones take it at three, and here's his explanation. It's hard to ignore the Jones-to-San Francisco buzz within the league. Every sign two weeks out from the draft points to general manager John Lynch and coach Kyle Shanahan being infatuated with Jones. I think he's the quarterback they traded up nine spots to take. Is he the perfect fit for Shanahan's offense? Only time will tell. Jones is my fourth-ranked quarterback and is number 12 on my big board, and I'm not sure I see a superstar when I watch him on tape. He's solid and extremely accurate, but not spectacular. Lynch and Shanahan are obviously taking the long view here, and this decision is going to be discussed and debated for years. I don't know if this is just clickbait, article or segment of the article over, by the way. This is me talking. This is not from Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft. Uh, But when I'm hearing this and I'm reading that explanation, is this just to stir up viewers for the draft? Because with most of these mock drafts, and you see the explanations on them, most of the time it's for the team's benefit. You know whether you go down the list, Trey, uh, 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 Zach Wilson, or Trevor Lawrence. He actually has Trey Lance going sixth uh, to the Atlanta Falcons, who traded with Miami uh, for the uh, for the for the fourth pick. So look, he has he has this trade up, and anyway, he has Trey Lance going sixth to the Falcons, who he mocks to trade with Miami uh, with that fourth pick. But then he has Justin Fields going 10th and this is to the New England Patriots and the latest mock drafts with Mel Kuyper as well as Todd McShay two guys who actually if you look at it their draft uh, history as far as just choosing uh, players within the top 100 who would make it as NFL players they have been pretty accurate but as far as their picks I have no idea but they do have Justin Fields ranked in the double digits, that's who he has them mocked to. And I do wonder why that is, but the more and more that I continue to look at this draft, let me say this for Mac Jones. I had this weird thought yesterday and you know, I could be wrong, but he says here that the 49ers are playing the long game in drafting Mac Jones, taking the long view but in my opinion, I, I'm not saying now, I'm, let me preface this by saying I don't think that Mac Jones is going to lead the 49ers to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that, you know, he's going to be an automatic winner as soon as he comes in. But I do think that no matter where he goes, if he does get to a team that has a good offensive line, like the 49ers will they'll have good protection with Alex Mack and Trent Williams as well as Mike McGlinchey and you know if Mike McGlinchey picks it up look you can you can make up for maybe the lack of talent that you have at the guard position uh with those anchors there but if wherever Mac Jones goes I could see it this season and and this is not even just for the 49ers I'm just looking at this from a quarterback perspective but I think that to start this season and to start their careers I could see just because of how accurate he is and the fact that I don't think he's going to be doing too much, uh, uh, you know, scrambling, rolling out right, and throwing deep, it's going to be a lot of thinking dunks with Mac Jones. And the statistics, I can see them actually favoring Mac Jones in his rookie season better than Fields or Trey Lance. I could see that happening. And, you know, we might even have the discussion, like, if the let's just say the 49ers drafted – Justin Fields. And you going to the rookie season, I could see Mac Jones having success elsewhere and you might be looking at those numbers and thinking, "Wow, did the I mean, were all those rumors that the Niners should have taken Mac Jones at 3 were they true?" I could see that happening, but I do feel like Trey Lance and Justin Fields will have better careers than Mac Jones. You know, I could see him being kind of a a flash in the pan for the first year, maybe two. but I do think that, as far as the long game goes, I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance can develop into very good quarterbacks. and personally, just everything that you read and everything that you hear regarding North Dakota State's football program and looking no further than uh, further than Philadelphia and their Birkenstock wearing quarterback. Uh, well, former quarterback in Carson Wentz, remember when he came in in his rookie year? Remember that? He looked different. Because no one no one had thought, yeah, I've watched a ton of North Dakota State football. I know what Carson Wentz is going to be in this league. It was the same with Josh Allen. Whenever people were giving takes on Josh Allen, I'm like, okay, but how many Wyoming football games did you really watch on a Saturday? Like, I mean, come on. But... I do think that reading everything and hearing everything regarding North Dakota State's football program and also if you just look plain and simple at the highlights you could tell they run a pro style offense you know they have a running back they have a tight end they'll go under center they'll go in the shotgun they're not going to do any of this spread out wide every single time four out whatever it is and you know have the quarterback run options, and, and do all these different things that's involved within the college-style offense. But I do think that Trey Lance is going to develop into a really nice quarterback this uh, in his career. And I don't know if it's going to be this season, and it's the same with Justin Fields. I don't know if it's going to be this season. Um, You know, Trey Lance, I feel like, He's going to take a little longer to get acclimated to the NFL just because of his lack of games. And, And, you know, people want to throw that away and just think that that's not going to matter. But I do believe it will. I think Trey Lance is going to develop into a really nice quarterback. But I just see if they do take Mac Jones, I mean, for one thing, 49er fans are going to go nuts and and I mean, everyone here on the text line uh, for the 925, I think whoever they draft will be the right choice. Their drafts have been very good during the Shanahan-Lynch tenure. I trust them to pick the right guy. But also for the 925, I want Trey Lance, most upside of any quarterbacks available. I don't want a good QB. I want a great Mahomes-type QB. <laughs> it's just so much to ask. From the 5 if they draft Mac Jones, the clock has started on their exit from the 49ers. Are we really passing on another mobile quarterback to draft a stiff? Well, I, I will say this. Mac Jones isn't a stiff, all right? When you think stiff, you do think Matt Ryan, right? And there have been comparisons made from Mac Jones to Matt Ryan. And maybe a little later in his career, he won't use his legs. But just because a quarterback isn't as mobile as some of these freak athletes that we have at quarterback it doesn't mean that he's a total stiff and just because he has wide receivers open and he doesn't need to make many plays with his legs uh with alabama maybe you could be seeing something different i i mean josh allen for one coming out of wyoming everyone's talking about his big arm but then you realize this dude can actually move now no one called him immobile and that wasn't a part of his draft profile but No one expected that. I do think that, you know, we're a little down on Mac Jones just because, you know, the 49ers could be drafting him with the third pick, and fans don't want that. I do think that he could be a pretty good quarterback uh, no matter where he's drafted. But, you know, when you're watching Justin Fields or Trey Lance, it's hard to just... It's hard to think... mm, It's hard to think that with Justin Fields or Trey Lance... You couldn't be getting – you could be getting a damn good quarterback going uh, nice. going on in the future. Butcher Boy, what's going on, man?
1: What's up, buddy? You know what? It's interesting. You bring up Josh Allen, and I don't think a lot of people watched him in college. I dug up some old tweets like I was Bonte Hill. Nice. And I used to watch the Wyoming team because they played at 8 o'clock on Saturday nights. Nice. And I would see a lot of them. And I had some old tweets. They actually ran him a lot. Really? And I know a lot of people didn't see what I saw. I actually have multiple tweets saying this guy's going to be a superstar. And what ended up happening his senior year, this is going to sound crazy, mm-hmm. but they lost one of their best wide receivers, his kid Gentry. Brian Hill was the running back. He went to the Atlanta Falcons in like the fourth or fifth round. Oh, yeah. But I'm telling you right now, Josh Allen was by far and away the best athlete on the field. Did I know he could run to this prolific rate? Absolutely not. Right. You could see the mobility. Yeah. I mean, you really could. And I think that's the one thing. Um, when people go back to the Josh Allen thing, a lot of people didn't watch the games, and I watched this guy with a bunch of nobodies in front of him who weighed little less than you and me play <laughs> right guard and left guard, and this kid was six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds, just throwing people away like he was, uh, I don't know, a WWE wrestler. Right. So, I, look, I'm I'm with you. If they take Mac Jones, I'm I get he's not a stiff per se. But come on, man. Yeah.
0: Come on. I know. When you're watching Fields or Lance and you see those highlights, man, you just can't help but think, why wouldn't you take that sort of quarterback? But I do think that in the rookie season, Mac Jones could possibly have a better uh, statistical season than those two guys in his rookie season. But I do think uh, for the longevity of their careers, I do think they'll be better suited just with the way that the game's evolving. But that is Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky that you heard.
1: I got a question for you tomorrow. Are the Raiders' roster, is it better today...